Aaron, thank you so much for that prayer this morning. Aaron is a member of our missions committee here at First Baptist. Well, it is our great pleasure this morning to have Carl and Lori Kresge with us. Carl and Lori are not only longtime faithful missionaries that we have supported, but Carl and Lori are very much a part of the heritage of this church, having grown up here and being a big part of this fellowship over the years. Carl has had a number of different positions with Send International over the years, including a long stint as Eurasia Director, uh, or excuse me, the Director of the Eurasia Region for Send International. And I want to say this morning that we had just an amazing time in Sunday School, all kinds of great pictures from the past, going back to Carl helping us to go to Clincy, Russia, um, and our adopted people group, the Buryat. And so if you weren't in Sunday school, weren't able to be here, that was live stream. So I'd encourage you to, to watch that at a later time. Well, Carl is going to come and preach for us at this time. So Carl, please come. Carl's going to try to preach. <clears throat> Just thinking about the this church and all you've meant to us is overwhelming. <laughs> <clears throat> Tim said I had 35 minutes. Does that count the silence? <clears throat> I'll do my best to get through this, but uh, you just mean so much to us. And I think one of the things that's um, emotional is the fact that I announced, I told the Sunday School class this morning that um, next month I'll be retiring from SEND. It's been uh, 28 plus years. It's been a wonderful ride. And it's been a, such a blessing to have this church as a part of that. Lori started attending this church at two years old. I... I and my family started attending when I was 14 years old, and uh, we ended up getting married here and serving on staff here for a while, and now for all of these years on your missionary staff. And it's just been a great, great blessing. I, um, I will be officially retiring next month, but I'm going to continue on a volunteer basis with SEND. So I will still <clears throat> keep meeting with Dave, the regional director of Eurasia, who took my role, and um, doing special projects for him, traveling with him. I'll still um, plan on doing some ministry overseas as well as, as well as here. So I'm not saying goodbye to the region. I'm just uh, officially will be retiring at the end of this month and just want to say thank you with all of my heart. 
So this is my last opportunity to speak to you as one of your supported missionaries. And that, that has caused some real reflection. Um, so in one sense, this is sort of my swan song. And uh, it even felt like a bit of pressure, like, okay, this is the last chance. Like, what do you say in your last opportunity? And... Um, I, I ask myself, what's the most important thing I would want to leave with you? The most important thing, if this is the last time I have an opportunity to stand in this pulpit. And that led me to ask myself the question, what is God's ultimate goal for all of us? Why did he create me? Why does he have me living and breathing on this earth? Answering that question, my mind immediately goes to a whole bunch of passages where God makes it abundantly clear what his ultimate goal is. I hope your mind is going right now and thinking, I wonder what Carl is going to say that God's ultimate goal is. But I can't go to all these passages. I've only got uh, probably a half hour now. Um, So how do I go about doing this? Well, I've titled... The message, God's glory goal. And I think you probably know where I'm going with that. And I'd like to describe and explain that goal from several different passages by making three statements and then following up with three questions. Three statements and three questions. Statement number one, the ultimate goal of God is his glory Enjoyed and exalted by all peoples. I hope what you thought of when I started talking about ultimate goal was something similar to that. And I know that this church is way above average in your understanding of the Great Commission and people groups and this theme from cover to cover in the Bible. So I would expect that many of you would have come up with that. People from all ethnic groups enjoying who God is and what he's done for them and exalting him. That's God's ultimate goal. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses that I could use to support that statement, but I'm going to narrow it down to just one book of the Bible, one chapter of the Bible, and one verse of the Bible. The book is Exodus. The chapter, Psalm 67, and the verse, Isaiah 12, 4. It's amazing to me how many times in the book of Exodus this theme is repeated over and over again. And as you read it, the question that you can't help asking is what took God so long to rescue his people from Egypt? He could have snapped his finger. He could have done it today. What took him so long? Well, the first reason God gives in the book of Exodus is that he wanted his people Israel to know and to love him as Yahweh, their God. Chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you up from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then... After I do all that, you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. 
Second reason, he wanted not only the current generation of Israelites to know, he wanted the future generations to know. Um, He says there that you may tell your children and grandchildren, I'm I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart and his officials, and I'm performing all these miraculous signs so that you will tell your children and your grandchildren. Another reason God took so long, he wanted the Egyptians to know, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring Israelites out of it. And the fourth reason he took so long, he wanted his name to be made known to all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand. That goes back to what I said a minute ago. Why did God take so long? He said, I could have not taken so long, but I had some purposes to accomplish. I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague. He's talking to Pharaoh. And that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed not just in Israel, not just future generations of the children of Israel, not just the Egyptians, but in all the earth. There are over 20 other passages in Exodus that I could have put up on the screen that make that same point. And I'm just going to put a few of them up real quickly. Just look at the yellow. We're not even going to read them all. All the wonders that I'll perform among them. Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Pharaoh will know there's no one like the Lord our God. And that there is no one like me in all the earth. Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. On all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. I will gain glory. The Egyptians will know. The nations will hear of Yahweh and tremble. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Jethro, who is not an Israelite, said, said that. Now I know, now I see, based on what God has done, that he is greater than all other gods. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. When I think of Exodus, and I think of God taking so long, and him telling very clearly why he took so long, I can't help but think of Russia and Ukraine. I've been praying desperately, asking God to stop that war, to bring peace, to stop the bloodshed for over a year now, as I know you have. Why hasn't he done that? God's ways are not our ways. And all we can say is, Father, please stop the war, but until you do, accomplish your purposes like you did here in Exodus. And I can, frankly, if we had more time, tell you lots of stories of God doing that in Ukraine. Of the hundreds of thousands, of the millions of Ukrainians who have fled, hundreds of thousands are believers. Remember what happened in Acts 8 when there was persecution in the church? They, they all scattered. What did they do while they scattered? They took the gospel with them. And within Ukraine, such an openness to a lot of people that have never cared about the gospel as they see the church of Jesus Christ loving them in the name of Christ and in openness to hearing the gospel. And many Ukrainians have come to Christ through this. That's one example of what God can do while we're praying and waiting. 
Let's look at one chapter, and that is Psalm 67. This is an amazing chapter, and it says it from the top to the bottom, our ultimate goal statement there. Verse 2 says that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Verses 3 and 5, kind of the chorus to this song, may the peoples praise you, O God, may all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. Great job picking out songs this morning. We uh, actually sang that literally, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then the last verse, God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Now that psalm, all by itself, is crystal clear and self-explanatory, so we're not going to dig into it. It's a plea for God to bless us as his people, but not as an end in itself, but for a means to the end of the ultimate goal, which is God's glory. I don't think there's any chapter in the Bible that makes it clearer that God's ultimate goal is his glory being enjoyed and exalted by all peoples. One book, one chapter. Now let's look at one verse. This verse has both the enjoying part and the exalting part of our ultimate goal statement. Give thanks to the Lord. That's, that's the enjoying. Give thanks to the, um, God for what he has done. That's enjoying the amazing spiritual blessings given to us by Yahweh. And proclaim that his name is exalted. So don't just enjoy it, individual follower of Jesus and nations. Don't just enjoy this amazing God. Exalt him. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Now we could have used your conference verse for this verse. I chose another one just because I'd already done the chapter in Psalms. But look at your conference verse. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. To revere means to be in awe of. We have an awesome God And he wants us to let all the people groups of the world know it. That's what this verse tells us. So God's ultimate goal is his glory enjoyed and exalted by all peoples. That's one book, one chapter, one verse. But I want to be clear that this goal is much more than what we've just seen in those three sections. I'm arguing that the main theme of the whole Bible cover to cover, teaches us that God's ultimate goal is that his glory, his fame, his name would be known among all peoples. And I'm going to try to argue that point and demonstrate it in the next four and a half minutes. Starting with God's promise to Abraham in chapter 12, that's where he said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and all the nations are going to be blessed through you. He didn't know how that was going to happen in hindsight, and the New Testament actually quotes that. We can see exactly what he was talking about. All the nations would be blessed because they would know God through Christ. So starting with the first book and ending in, ending in uh, the great picture of Revelation 7, all of history is headed toward a day when an innumerable multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language will be gathered around his throne, praising him, awed at his glory. Now, in four and a half minutes, you're going to have to read pretty quickly. So, get ready. 
Um, each verse is going to be up there for just four or five seconds. If you can't read it whole thing, at least read the red print that is uh, highlighting that theme in that verse. Ready?
I hope that made the point that the ultimate goal of God is the glory, is his glory enjoyed and exalted by all peoples. If that's the ultimate goal of God, and you and I are the people of God, and we are among the nations, and what's that mean? That needs to be our ultimate goal. Statement number two, God's plan for the accomplishment of this goal is the Great Commission. Sometimes we may think of the Great Commission as being just a New Testament command, but there are hundreds of verses from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that we could go to to make this point. And you just saw a small sampling of that in those slides we just went through. But I'm just going to mention one of those key passages, and that's the one that we're probably all most familiar with, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says, make disciples. He says, as you go, as you live, as you work, as you play, as you relate to one another inside and outside of the home, make disciples. An interesting thing is that just a couple of days before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The disciples may have been wondering how that was going to happen. Like, the end is going to come when it's preached to all nations, but how is it going to get preached to all the nations? And then they found out in Jesus' final words to them, just before he ascended, was, oh, we're going to do it. Followers of Jesus are commanded to make followers of Jesus of all nations. Statement number three. The Great Commission is not a general command to make as many disciples as possible, but a specific command to make disciples of all nations. I heard recently a message by David Platt, which really brought out this point for me in a new way, and I'd recommend it. I'd recommend that to you. It was an outstanding message. It's in uh, the last conference that Together for the Gospel had just last year. And uh, I'd recommend you listen to it and get a hold of that. But he says, Jesus didn't say go and make disciples, period, or make a lot of disciples. He said go and make disciples among all the ethnic groups of the world. Now you understand that Nations, that word nations that we've said so many times today, that we've sang so many times today, is not a geopolitical nation. It's not Russia. It's not speaking of making disciples among Ukraine or China. It's talking about people groups. That's what we call them. It's talking about ethnic groups of the world. What is a unreached people group. I've got a short little video that does the best job I've ever seen explaining that. What is a UPG? UPG stands for unreached people group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? 
A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb people, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. As an example of that point that he's making, I'd like to look just briefly at how the early church expanded through Paul's journeys. In the first two missionary journeys, he continued to push further west. Then in the third missionary journey, he goes to the places that he had been in the first two missionary journeys, and then he stops at Corinth. Why? Oh, and, and from Corinth, then, he writes a letter to Rome, to the church at Rome. Why Rome? Why did, why did Paul do that? In Romans 15, he tells the, the, the Romans in that letter that there is no more place for him to work in these regions. He's been all through these regions between Antioch and Corinth and a whole bunch of places in between. And in Romans 15, he tells the Romans, there's no more work for me to do in these areas. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? There are all kinds of work to do in that whole region without question. Matter of fact, if you just look at the book of 1 Corinthians, you can see how much of work there needed to be done yet still in the city of Corinth in that church. But Paul tells the church in Rome in his letter that he is on his way to Jerusalem 
with the offering, but then he's going to come to them in Rome after he delivers that offering. And why does he want to come to them? Romans 15 says, because he wants to ask them for their help in getting to Spain. There were no Christians in Spain, no gospel, no disciples to make disciples. Paul kept pressing on to places where Jesus was not yet known. Statement number three, the goal of God is his glory among all peoples, and the Great Commission is not a general command to make disciples among as many peoples as possible where we live. It is a specific command to make disciples among all ethnic groups. To try to help you remember those three statements, I've condensed it down to one acrostic. Glorifying God among all peoples by obeying the Great Commission through disciple-making in all ethnic groups. Will you read that with me? Glorifying God among all peoples by obeying the Great Commission through disciple-making in all ethnic groups. As I mentioned before, I think First Baptist Church is way ahead of the average church in understanding these principles. But there are still three important questions that I need to ask, assuming that what I've said about God's goal is true, and it is. Question number one, what are the desires of your heart? Isaiah 26, 8 says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. That's actually my life verse. And I'd like you to I'd like you to really wrestle with it. That word name means fame. To make a name for oneself means to attain a renowned reputation. To become famous is to have one's name spread throughout the land. Your name, your fame, and renown are the desire of our hearts. A desire is a longing. Something attractive and delightful to the eyes. It is the craving of a person's heart. It says, we wait for you. So we are longing for the coming of a day when God's name would be honored fittingly. The, the New Living Translation translates that verse, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. If this is the ultimate goal of God, and if the responsibility for the accomplishment of that goal has been given to you and I as followers of Jesus, is it the number one desire of your heart? What are the other things in your heart, the other longings that are vying for that position? Someone once said that our hearts are idol-producing factories. And I find that to be true in my life. Idol-producing factories. And it can come up with all kinds of idols across the board that replace the glory of God. How often do you think about God's ultimate goal in your daily lives? Where does it fit into the priority of your life? Where does God's fame among all peoples fit in the many desires of your heart? That's the first question. Second question is, what are, you going to, what are you doing to participate in making God known among the nations? David Platt, in that message, talks about the time that he 
came to the realization that there is a category of person who is zealous for God's goal but does not become a missionary. It's called a Christian. Missionaries aren't the only people who are zealous for the glory of God to go to all the nations. This is what it means to be a disciple. The Holy Spirit of God has the goal of God's glory to the nations. You and I have the Holy Spirit inside us. So are we zealous for the glory of God among all nations? That third statement, or actually this this whole point, I'd like to say that my brother John is a classic example of this for me. He was in seminary. He was headed for the mission field. He assumed that being a missionary must be the best way to serve God. God surprised him by redirecting him to serve him as a dairy farmer. And his impact on God's ultimate goal of seeing his glory enjoyed and exalted by all peoples has been amazing to me. John's passion for God's goal and his tireless work to see it accomplished has been a huge inspiration to me. His prayer life, his giving to missions, his short-term mission trips, his work on and on and with the missions committee here at First Baptist, his impact on this church and lots of other churches in Michigan in coordinating perspectives courses, etc. I'm a more effective missionary today because of him. It's my opinion that John that John has done more for the advancement of God's glory goal as a dairy farmer than I have as a vocational missionary. Those are tears of joy and appreciation for John, and it, and it makes this point. Is that embracing God's passion for the nations does not mean you are going to become a cross-cultural missionary. Right where you are, right what you're doing, that passion can be accomplished and accomplish many things. What are some next steps? This is the question I'd like to you to ask yourself. What are some next steps that you can take to more fully embrace this goal? And here's just a list of some samples. Your prayer life becoming more meaningful, informed, and diligent. Studying the Bible and learning God's heart for missions. Take a perspectives course. Get to know missionaries. Communicate with and encourage them. Read missionary stories, books on missions, personal evangelism in your neighborhood, in your workplace, financially supporting missionaries and projects. Join or help the missions committee. Uh, Look for international ministry opportunities in your community, short-term trips, or career missions. God may lay that on the heart of some of you, even today. So if that's God's ultimate goal, I want to... I want to go there, and I want to minister to the Buryat people. I want to engage the Akin people in Dagestan. I want to engage the Bashkir, the Tatar Muslims in Central Russia. Career missions is one option, 
but it's not the only option to accomplish this. And the third question, what are the priorities of First Baptist Church? The first two questions were for you as an individual. This one is for you as an individual, but as a member of this community. This question is for the church leadership. This question is for all of First Baptist Church members. Is God's ultimate goal this church's ultimate goal? Can that be seen in the church budget, in church programs, in sermons, in Christian education curriculum, in teaching children, in the youth program, in staff job descriptions, in the prayer life of the church? Can can those things show, demonstrate, that you have bought into and embraced God's ultimate goal? Is, is First Baptist Church looking, like Paul, for the people groups of the world who have no access to the gospel? And a final question, how long would it take a new believer who just started to attend First Baptist Church to pick up on this church's alignment with God's ultimate goal of seeing his glory taken to the nations? How long would it take him to say, oh, I see what we're all about here? David Platt made this statement, and this is a quote. We have relegated God's ultimate goal in the world to an optional program in the church. It is functional heresy, practical belief that goes contrary to biblical doctrine, and it is rampant across all of our churches. Spreading God's glory among all the peoples is not a program for a few Christians in the church. Spreading God's glory among all peoples is the purpose for which every Christian has breath. I like to put this diagram up here when I talk to different churches. Which, is, which best describes First Baptist Church? The diagram on the left, which is saying missions is one part of many things that the church does. Or the diagram on the right, which is, says God's ultimate goal must be our ultimate goal, and that is taking his glory to all the nations. <clears throat> so our worship, in our Sunday school, in our prayer meetings, in our preaching and teaching, in our evangelism, in our children's ministry and youth ministry, is all feeding that ultimate goal. And a final challenge. As you walk out of this building in the next few minutes, I'd like you to consider this. Number one, don't forget to praise God at the start of every day and learn to continue praising him throughout the day. Review his attributes and be amazed. Platt says, my goal is to enjoy the glory of God. God, the most beautiful, awesome, supreme, magnificent, satisfying being, being in all the earth has created me to enjoy him. I'll sign up for that. The greatest thing that could possibly happen to a human being has happened to me. He called me. He redeemed me. He gave me Christ. He gave me eternal life. Praise God for that every day. Secondly, thank God every day for what he has done. Stop and think about God's goal as you go through every day. Two closing verses. 
to send you out these doors with that I love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Have you been redeemed? Say so. In Psalm 74, But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great. Do you love your salvation? Then repeatedly shout, God is great. How about right now? God is great. And you can shout it too. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love our salvation and we proclaim today that you are great. We are redeemed. Give us the motivation to say so. As we walk through the life that you've placed before us, I pray that your ultimate goal would become our ultimate goal and that we would enjoy you and exalt you for the rest of our lives. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.